Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Araja. I'm the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all my work at texasfootball.com. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast vendor. You can follow me on Twitter at Shahan J. Araja. And make sure and also check out the new Texas basketball magazine, which can be found on bookshelves now or ordered from the brand new texasbasketball.com. We got a great show for you today. We actually have Adrian Broadus joining the program. Adrian is our UTEP correspondent. He also covers UTEP for a couple of other places as well. And I know what you're thinking. Shahan, why are we talking about a one-win team on this podcast? But Adrian gives some fantastic insight into the state of the program right now, what everybody's feeling right now in El Paso. And, and look, you might not have realized, people are very excited about this one win because uh, winning last week against Rice, that was UTEP's first win since the 2016 season. And people were very excited. The band came out to play to celebrate them coming back home. Uh, people came to the airport to greet them at the airport. And this isn't the sort of stuff that you don't usually see from a team that wins one game. So there's a great culture building right now around UTEP. And we can't wait to have Adrian on a little bit later to discuss that. But first, we got to talk about Texas. Texas was riding high. They had an inside track to the Big 12 championship game. And things are looking a lot dicier all of a sudden. Uh, Texas, as everyone knows, they lost in week one to Maryland, but since then had played extremely, extremely well. They won six straight games, actually, uh, including a perfect 4-0 start to conference play. That's suddenly starting to look a lot more tenuous. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, they lose at Oklahoma State, 38-35. A week ago, they lose to Will Greer in West Virginia, 42-41, with only seconds remaining on the clock. And this is where a senior heavy team has to come together because it's easy to be excited. It's ex easy to really be engaged when you have a team that's competing for a Big 12 title. And to be clear, Texas still has a chance to compete for a Big 12 title. In fact, if Oklahoma finishes with two losses, Texas would actually have the inside track because they'd have the tiebreaker over Oklahoma. So if West Virginia goes and all of a sudden goes and beats Oklahoma, it could be West Virginia versus Texas for the Big 12 title. At the same time, Texas has to navigate these next couple of weeks, which there's a lot of treacherous stuff in front of them. At Texas Tech next week, 6.30 p.m. on Fox. In two weeks, versus number 22, Iowa State, 7 p.m. on the Longhorn Network. And then you finish at Kansas, and you feel good about that game, but it's all of a sudden looked like a very tough path. Texas had the inside track after beating Baylor on October 13th, and now after two losses, things are looking a lot tougher. And on top of that, you saw what Oklahoma State was able to do, where they were able to get the ball downfield, create opportunities with star wide receiver Tylen Wallace. West Virginia was able to do something similar, except they have a lot more wide receivers to go to instead of relying on one guy. And Texas Tech this week, that's going to be a tough matchup. Now, we don't know at this point, and we're pretty sure not actually, we don't think that Alan Bowman's going to play, and that's going to help Texas a lot because Bowman has quickly turned into one of the best quarterbacks in the Big 12 at this point. Uh, everybody remembers his game where he threw for 605 yards against Houston, but that wasn't just a single performance. A week later, he threw for 397 against Oklahoma State. Uh, he threw for 408 against Kansas, 323 against Iowa State, 227 a week ago against Oklahoma in the first half before going out. Uh, actually threw for 227 yards and two touchdowns, no interceptions. 
completed 81% of his passes in, again, just the first half. So not having Bowman is going to be a huge hit for Texas Tech and a huge advantage for, uh, for Texas, in my opinion. But still, you know, they're a team that can push the ball downfield. Antoine Wesley and TJ Vasher are two of the best wide receivers in the business, and you have them both on the same sideline, and they both have size to be able to go over the top of smaller defensive backs. And Texas has some big defensive backs, but at the same time, we don't necessarily know whether we're going to see Devontae Davis out there. Chris Boyd has been struggling. Things are looking a lot tougher all of a sudden. The one bright spot that I'll say is that Sam Ellinger is playing the best football of his career so far. Uh, a week ago against West Virginia, he completed 25 of 36 passes for 354 yards, three touchdowns, added another 52 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. And that's not just a one-game sample size. He actually hasn't had an interception since the opener against Maryland. And everyone remembers last season that interceptions were the thing that were absolutely killing Ellinger uh, and costing Texas a whole bunch of ball games. But now he's gone from seven interceptions and only a couple starts in 2017 to only two this year, 16 to two interception to uh, touchdown interception ratio, averaging 7.6 yards per attempt up from under seven last year completing 64% of his passes, up from 57% last year, and he still managed to be a huge factor in the rushing game, too. Against Oklahoma, he had three rushing touchdowns. A week ago, he had one. Two weeks ago, he had two. So Ellinger's been a huge boost to this team, and Keontae Ingram, of course, being another player, has been a huge boost to this team on offense. But defensively, the Longhorns have to be able to withstand some of these injuries and stand up and be ready to go because the reality is, you're in a position right now where you have to go out and win these football games. And if you don't, then the season's all of a sudden going to look a whole lot worse. It's going to feel a whole lot worse, too. So uh, Texas has opportunities left. They still have a chance to make it to the Big 12 title game. But they can't make any more mistakes. That's what it comes down to. They cannot make any more mistakes. And, you know, another team that kind of started slow but is suddenly finding its stride is SMU. You know, early in the season, we kind of thought that SMU were a bunch of goners because they go, they get absolutely shellacked by UNT. The final score was a 23-point game, but the game was nowhere near that close. But since that moment, they've actually played pretty well. I know that 42-12 to doesn't look particularly good against a TCU team that's proven to be bad at this point, but for a half, SMU was right, right there and probably should have been up at the half against TCU, and TCU was so healthy at that point. A week later, 45-20 to 20 against Michigan is very, very acceptable. And if not for a Ben Hicks pick six before the half, it would have been a 14-7 ball game. And then you have four wins. you got Navy, Houston Baptist at Tulane versus Houston. And obviously the Houston game, a huge win last week that we talked about a little bit on the program. Uh, the only two losses, a bad loss to UCF by 28 points. Okay, UCF is a really, really good football team. And an overtime loss to Cincinnati. So all of a sudden you're looking and the team is four and five. And a few weeks ago, well, a lot of weeks ago, I guess at this point, I guess we're heading into week 11. But but a bunch of weeks ago, we were thinking, oh, is this team only going to win one or two games? Because they put themselves into a big hole with their non-conference scheduling. Uh, You know, we, we mentioned the UNT game and that was potentially their opportunity for a win. But versus TCU at Michigan, those were always going to be two games that they lost. So credit to SMU's athletic department for going out and scheduling those games. But that put them in a big hole. That put them in an 0-3 hole. And granted, they had the FCS game against a bad Houston Baptist team, 
But still, you know, you still have to go out there and you have to win five games against conference opponents to be able to make a bowl game. And that's just to make a bowl game. But since then, SMU's managed to find some momentum on both offense and defense. And I really do mean that because against Navy, they managed to pull together uh, some good performances, even after losing a couple linebackers. Against Tulane, they hold them to just 23 points. Against Houston, they hold them to just 31 points, and a lot of those came in the second half. Against Cincinnati, even, you know, they go to overtime, but Cincinnati only manages to score 20 points on this SMU defense. And this isn't an SMU defense that's particularly notable. You know, a year ago, it was their offense was coming through, coming up with big plays, Cortland Sutton, Trey Quinn, Ben Hicks. And now their defense has managed to take a little bit of a step forward at this point. And, and granted, Ben Hicks' good play has helped them out a whole lot. Uh, a week ago, they're playing against Houston. He throws for 318 yards and four touchdowns. Two weeks ago against Cincinnati, 328 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But really, the fact that they managed to avoid some mistakes, and especially that Hicks managed to avoid mistakes, throwing no interceptions against Houston, those are the sort of plays that you have to make against good teams. And SMU has some good teams left on their schedule, but they kind of have already played the great teams on their schedule. So in the final three weeks of the season, they've got at UConn. That should be an easy win. We'll make sure and project that later in the show. They've got Memphis, and Memphis is good. They aren't necessarily great, and they get Memphis at home, which is very helpful. And then they go on the road to Tulsa. Tulsa is not a very good team at this point either. I mean, what at this point, they've only won two games, and one of them was against UConn, and the other was against Central Arkansas. So can SMU make a bowl game? I think absolutely. And after the way that they started and after playing three extremely losable games to start the year, the fact that they could go and make a bowl game after uh, some losses late or some losses early in the year, I think that's a huge boost. And, you know, Sonny Dykes, I know that he wasn't the coach that everybody at Cal hoped that he would be. And I know that he wasn't a very popular hire necessarily when SMU made it. It was a, a little bit of an uninspired hire, in my opinion. He's kind of managed to prove me wrong to this point because on both ends, SMU is starting to pull it together. They're starting to look like a cohesive team. And again, they have three games left, and they only need to win two to make a bowl game. There's every reason to believe that they can do that. And I'll tell you what, I don't think that anybody, especially, you know, me, I don't think that any of us thought that they were going to do that after starting the season 0-3 and losing in such embarrassing fashion. Anyway, after the break, we'll be back with you with Adrian Broadus. We'll be talking some UTEP football, and we'll be followed by picks for all of the FBS games over the weekend. So stick around. We'll be right back. We're joined now by Adrian Broadus. Adrian covers UTEP for us, for ESPN El Paso, for basically everyone that I can imagine covers uh, UTEP right about now. Adrian, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. You know, everybody in El Paso right now is still on the high for, from the UTEP win, the big UTEP win, and it's good to be on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you so much for joining us. And, and I do want to ask about that first. Uh, you know, what is the atmosphere like around campus? I know that you had written a piece for uh, for ESPN El Paso before just about, you know, why people say they don't go to games. And the biggest reason that people said is that they don't win. So how encouraging is it just around El Paso, around campus, to now have that first win in the books? 
Well, I'll tell you this. At Rice, there was a lot of UTEP fans. And in fact, fans even stormed the field after the win. So that kind of just tells you how much this fan base loves this team, loves the program, loves the, the school and the university. You know, when I wrote that piece and I kind of talked about how student involvement wasn't really at an all-time high, that a lot of people in the community really just wanted a winner. At this point, they've got it. And, you know, they they got what they wanted. They broke the, the uh, losing streak. And now they've kind of... Uh, you know, ch- change the narrative right now. Now it's what can this be built on? What can Dana Dimmel and uh, Kai Loxley kind of grow out of this program? And, you know, the atmosphere was crazy because when they even came back to town, the team, the UTEP football team came back into town, there was fans greeting them at the airport. There was people waiting for them at the university, uh, you know, with the buses and the band. It was insane. And, you know, schools across the country doesn't even have to be in Conference USA, but schools across the country, they don't do that for just anybody. It just says a lot about the fans and how deeply they love this team. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, UTEP is obviously a little bit separate from kind of the rest of the state, just being so far west in, in West Texas near near New Mexico, of course. And in that way, you know, it's a bit of a sports vacuum, you know, just because it's so separated from the rest of the country. What's the culture like, not just around UTEP football, but around UTEP athletics? You know, UTEP athletics is a very family oriented, uh, um, you know, kind of atmosphere. That's how everybody, you kind of get born into the team. You know, you go around to the UTEP games, UTEP men's basketball, UTEP football, uh, and you see just tons of families there. I, it's it's a place you kind of be, you, you're kind of born into. And, you know, when I when I say this, I'm I mean that like when people are, live in El Paso, their backyard is literally UTEP. So it's kind of the closest thing that we have to a pro team. It's the closest thing that the city has to any sort of sporting team. But the town loves sports. I mean, they they're really big on their athletics. We just got the uh, El Paso Chihuahuas AAA affiliate of the San Diego Padres five years ago and it's been booming ever since so it's just kind of a testament of what this uh university what this program is and you know it's kind of shifted in the past in the 90s and the 80s it was a really really big basketball city it still is but a lot of focus is now on football they love the football team ever since Mike Christ came in here in the mid-2000s and he kind of revitalized the program, turned it into a winning culture. So now everybody expects a winner, which doesn't really happen too often. Well, obviously with the last coaching staff with Sean Coogler, uh, you know, there was some transition going between what they were running there to what obviously Dana Dimmel's trying to run now. What do you think the biggest changes have been, both from a roster perspective and obviously from a scheme perspective as well, between those two coaches? Well, I'll tell you the first uh biggest difference is the coaching the amount of coaches when uh, and that's kind of funny to say but when Kugler was here he had about you know 10 coaches you know assistants and everything now there's almost 20 with Dana Dimmel I mean he just wants to create a whole new culture here and bring it up to what you know what it could be there's a lot of potential UTEP you know it's it is away from everybody just like you said you know but Kugler's offense was very vanilla it was run up the middle handoff up the middle now we're seeing 95 percent shotgun formations every every time we see the minors now and that's totally different that's something this this uh, program has never seen and just from like little fundamentals like that 
uh, the nickel formation uh, defensively. It's so different now. We've never this uh, this program has never seen something like that, and and it kind of shifts over from you know a four three, a four two five, and uh, now they're starting to really instill that four two five setup. I think it's working okay, but uh, you know just the basic schemes. That's really what's been changing. Also the pride. I mean, I've kind of seen the players, you know, last year, they kind of let go. They kind of quit on the, I I wouldn't want to say quit, but they kind of lost a lot of spirit, you know, five, six games down the line, especially when Sean Kugler announced his, uh, his retirement or his resignation, I should say from the team. And then, you know, Dana Dimmel comes in, this team doesn't really quit in any games. They've kind of, they've kind of learned how to lose in a way. That sounds weird, but they've kind of learned how to lose and they fight back every game. Even though they're down 19 to nothing, they're always trying to score. It's kind of a weird team. I've never really seen a team or a program uh, able to still come out with energy and still come out with a lot of pride, even though they've lost 20 games in a row. Well, Dana Dimmel was the offense coordinator at Kansas State, of course, so he had opportunities to take other jobs before. Uh, Why do you think he picked UTEP? You know, I think it was just kind of the right situation at the right time. He saw that this is a this is kind of a low expectation place where, you know, you win five games, you win six games at a time, even go to a bowl within the first three years. That's a big, big accomplishment for the city. Kugler did it in his first year, but he did it without his own players. Now you're seeing kind of Dimmel uh, trying to integrate his own players, try to see what he can do. And I also think that he's trying to get some of these younger coaches coaches uh better opportunities his he's got some really young coaches on the staff who range from you know 28 to 33 and i think that they're starting to learn the game a little bit more they're going to go off and have great careers of their own and i think he really wants to lay a foundation he sees the opportunity athletic director jim center called this place the sleeping giant and uh, i think that you know dana dimmel has bought into that and really wants to make this uh a program that's notable well, you mentioned uh, that phraseology, sleeping giants. What is the athletic department doing to try to help the football team move towards being a consistent winner? Well, you know, it, it also starts with recruiting. They're starting to allow coaches to, you know, go off and they're, they're expanding their recruiting budget a little bit more now down the line. They're allowing these coaches to go off into, uh, you know, deep into Texas. They're going to the Houston area, the San Antonio area, trying to recruit deep and hit a lot of different schools. But, you know, they're, they're catching up with the basic college football trends that we see all across the country. I mean, from just, you know, offering kids who are uh, juniors and sophomores who are already studly and have the division one talents to uh recruiting juco players and recruiting a lot of them i mean you know dana dimble said that this coaching staff has already gone through about a hundred different schools thus far and tried to recruit here and there and now it's about kind of letting uh kind of getting those players to buy into what they're trying to do and see and and kind of put utep on the map bottom line trying to show that UTEP wants to be a competitor and they want to be solidified as a well-known recognized program down the stretch. You mentioned recruiting and, and you really can't talk about UTEP recruiting right now without talking about Dion Hankins. Uh, you know, Hankins is obviously one of the best players to come from El Paso in a while, a running back. And, and when you talk about one of the best players to go to UTEP, I mean, you're talking about, he has offers from Arkansas, Oklahoma state, Texas tech, SMU. So, First of all, how big is it to get a player of that caliber? And second of all, it seems like UTEP only has five commits right now in the class. What do they need to do to kind of take their class and build on that? 
Well, so the first off with Deion Hankins, I mean, you watch a guy like that play and, and you think, I cannot believe that this guy decided to go to a place like UTEP. And then you kind of meet the guy and he's a very humble guy, comes from a great background, great family. And you see why he want he wants to instill that family kind of tradition into UTEP. And you know what? I'll, I'll say it. Aaron Jones, who we know running back of the Green Bay Packers, had a lot to do with it. I mean, Aaron Jones kind of paved the way for a lot of UTEP recruits saying, hey, you play here, you'll get a lot of playing time, and you have a chance to play at the grandest stage of them all down the stretch. And, you know, that's that's one of the biggest things for me in recruiting at UTEP is having these big name guys like Aaron Jones, Will Hernandez, who's a starting offensive lineman for the uh, New York Giants, go out and, and really help these guys out. UTEP does a great job in their social media presence, which is kind of funny because we live in a day and age where recruits love to be recognized on Twitter. They love to be, they love to have their name shouted out on all their uh, social media platforms. And that's what they're doing. They're engaging these kids, even though they're, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away, they're really appealing to these kids by saying, we care about you. We want you to play for us and you're going to get a significant amount of playing time. Now, as far as, you know, dipping into the recruiting, they've only got those five commits right now. And I, I feel like right now they're trying to go a little bit more on the Juco route a little bit because what they're trying to do is get a, get those guys, uh, get some linemen, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. They need that desperately. So the Juco ranks, they're going to play through it. Uh, throughout these next couple months. I think that once December rolls around, we're going to see a lot more commits decide to uh, come to UTEP. But during the Kugler era, we never really saw anybody verbally commit until January and February. So five commits in the fall is not bad for this UTEP football organization. So heading out to, to end the season, there are several games left, but a lot of them are going to be a little tougher. Obviously, uh, Utah plays against Middle Tennessee this week, then at Western Kentucky. Western Kentucky's not looking very good right now. Maybe that's an opportunity. And then against Southern Miss. What are your expectations for the last three games, and, and what do you think fans' expectations should be? Well, my expectations are that they're just going to be really competitive in these games. I think defensively they can kind of hang with everybody in the in the conference. I mean, they're they're putting up really good uh, passing protection right i mean passing yards allowed they're actually just fourth in the conference right now only allowing uh, about 188 yards through the air from each team that they uh, play defensively so you know you got guys like linebacker aj hodgkins who's an oregon transfer who's played great minutes and significant time for this team and he who's really a leader on this defense you also have cornerback nick needham who's just the stud in the secondary and and just is about on every single passing play now i I expect their defense to take a big step forward in these last three games. They're going to keep them in the game offensively. I, I want to say that this uh, team will progress, but there's, there are a lot of mistakes. I mean, the turnover margin still is something that hurts them. They're, they're about at a right now at about a negative uh, minus seven turnover margin, which is not good by any, any regards. Kyle Loxley is not playing healthy right now. He's going to need, surgery by the end of the season and uh you know i would I honestly i would say he's about 60 70 percent healthy whenever he goes out so that's something to keep an eye out for if kyle oxley doesn't finish the year and they have to go three four deep into their quarterback uh depth chart that's not a good thing either brandon jones is a good quarterback but he's just not what the miners need in terms of a passer a true passer that gets everybody involved and then senior ryan metz who's just kind of battled that 
head injury that he suffered against Louisiana Tech is just kind of in and out of the, the works. He hasn't really returned to any team meetings or practices, and that's a really scary thing right there. So, you know, down the line, I wouldn't really expect uh, – I can't guarantee or expect to win out of any of these games. I think their best shot is uh, Western Kentucky. Maybe they get a, a win on senior day. But, you know, Middle Tennessee looks really tough right now, and I, I don't think the Miners can really slow down uh, Brent Stockstill, the quarterback for Middle Tennessee. That's Adrian Broadus. You can find him on Twitter at Adrian underscore Broadus. Find him on ESPN El Paso. Find him at the UTEP Prospector. And of course, find all his work at TexasFootball.com. Adrian, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Welcome back, everybody. Like I said, Adrian was a fantastic, fantastic guest. You got to make sure and follow him if you're a UTEP football fan. And, and honestly, we'll be watching UTEP very closely over the next couple of months. I'm hoping to make a trip out to UTEP, hopefully in the new year, to be able to go and um, meet with their coaching staff, meet with some of their players. I, I've never been to, to UTEP. I've been to El Paso once while driving to Phoenix, but I really want to stop by. I really want to see what it's all about. I really want to talk to Dion Hankins. And again, UTEP's going to be a program that we're going to be keeping a close eye on heading forward because I do think that Dana Dimmel has the potential to really change that place. And that's exciting. You always want more good uh, Texas college football teams. Moving on, a week ago, I had somebody tweet at me after I went 2-8, and eight, a terrible 2-8 and eight week, just for the record, but saying, oh, well, that's what, I, you know, that's what somebody gets for getting their picks from a guy named Shahan J. Araja. Well, guess what? I went 6-3 and three last week, so you know what, random Twitter user? If you had bet on my picks, you would have made some money. And guess what? I'm 31-28 and 28 on the season, so I'm making you at least a little bit of money, so you're welcome for that. <laughs> but yeah, six and three last week, moved to 31 and 28 on the season, and this is going to be another tough week, though. I'll tell you that much. And we're going to get it started right away with TCU at number nine, West Virginia, 11 a.m. on FS1. TCU is an 11 and a half point underdog against the Mountaineers on the road, and I don't think this game is going to go well. I really don't think this game is going to go well for TCU. Right now, uh, Gary Patterson said earlier in the season that they're up to 20 players who are lost for the season, and seven of them, or I, I don't know if all of them are, are uh, guys who are lost for the season, but they're down to seven lost safeties at this point. And obviously, going against West Virginia, the last thing you need is to lose defensive backs. West Virginia brings some of the best wide receivers into the country into this game, and David Sills, the future NFL player. Gary Jennings had a game-winning touchdown last week, and he's oftentimes the most productive receiver on that roster. Marcus Sims has taken a huge step forward this year. TJ Simmons is out there, too. Trayvon Wesco has taken a big step forward as a tight end. They've got so many guys who Wilger can throw the ball to, and that is not great news for TCU's secondary. Again, the line is 11 and a half. Uh, a week ago, West Virginia beats Texas by one. Two weeks ago, they beat Baylor by 44. I think that game's going to look a whole lot more like that 44-point game. I think West Virginia wins this game easy, and I think they win easily by more than 11.5 points. Moving on, SMU travels to UConn 11 a.m. on ESPN3. SMU is 19.5-point favorites against the Huskies. And, you know, Greg Tepper said it on Texas Football Today earlier this week. UConn might be the worst team in the whole country at this point. Uh, like we mentioned, they've lost a whole bunch of games by double digits in recent weeks. 30 points to Tulsa last week. They lose by five to UMass at home a few weeks ago. 
lost by eight to USF, lost by 30, uh, sorry, 41 against Memphis, lost by 42 against Cincinnati, lost by 30 to Syracuse, lost by 55 to Boise State, by 39 to UCF. Uh, this is a really, really bad football team. Their only win of the year is a seven-point win against Rhode Island. That's all they've got. So when we say that this might be the worst football team in the country, we are including everybody in that evaluation. And SMU's playing really well right now. Now, they haven't done a good job of blowing out teams at this point, but they haven't necessarily played any teams that they're significantly, significantly better than at this point. I think that this is a statement game for SMU. They're coming off of a big win against Houston. I think they're going to come out and prove, hey, you know what? We're a team that you need to start taking seriously. We want to make a bowl game. We have the ability to make a bowl game. And I think SMU is going to be able to cover this basically 20-point spread against UConn. And I think they're going to be able to pick up their fifth win of the year and move within one game of bowl eligibility. Next up, we've got Texas A&M versus Ole Miss. 11 a.m. on CBS. Texas A&M is fresh off of a pair of losses. And to be clear, I don't think Texas A&M is going to lose this game. They've been a much better team when they've played at Kyle Field this season. But I will say... Ole Miss does do a good job of taking advantage of Texas A&M's biggest weakness, and that's their secondary. Ole Miss has perhaps one of the best groups of wide receivers in the whole country. Uh, obviously, A.J. Brown is the featured guy at wide receiver. He's got 920 yards and five touchdowns on 66 receptions with several games still remaining. But then Demarcus Lodge was obviously a blue-chip recruit. D.K. Metcalf, big-time player. So you head into this game... I don't know. It's a tough matchup for Texas A&M's secondary. So to think that Texas A&M is going to win by basically two touchdowns, that's a lot. That's definitely a lot. I think Ole Miss is going to be able to cover. I think it's going to be an easy A&M win. I think it's going to be about 10 points. But I do think that Ole Miss is going to manage to keep things a little closer than, than we'd hope. And now, again, Kellen has to have a bounce-back game because while Travion Williams is killing it in the rush game so far, I think that Mond is really the engine that makes this team go because he's able to move the ball downfield. He's able to make defenses adjust. And we need, he needs to be able to do that against Ole Miss because Ole Miss can put up points in a hurry. And I think that Texas A&M is going to need to be able to do that as well. So I think that Texas A&M's uh, going to win this game, but I think Ole Miss is going to narrowly cover. Next up, we've got UNT going to Old Dominion, 1 p.m. on ESPN3. UNT is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite heading into this game. Uh, the Mean Green are coming off a bye week um, after losing a couple of games earlier. Uh, now, I believe that their last game that they played was, was a big win over Rice, but before that, obviously losing to UAB, losing to Louisiana Tech. Old Dominion, on their other hand, only has two wins, although one, of course, is against number 13 Virginia Tech, which is a game that will never not be confusing. <laughs> Because, again, their only other win of the season is on the road against Western Kentucky, a Western Kentucky team that has one win, and uh, they only won 37-34. to So looking at the rest of Old Dominion's results, I, I think that there's plenty of reason to believe that UNT is going to be able to cover this line. Uh, a week ago at home, they, uh, Old Dominion lost to Middle Tennessee 51-17. to Before that, 42-20 to also at home against Marshall and, and the, their other home games against FIU, 28-20. And, and even against Liberty, they lost 52-10 to against a team that UNT beat by over 30 points. So I think that UNT is going to treat this as a statement game. I know that they know that they can't take things for granted at this point because 
UNT has two losses on their schedule, and if they want to make a decent bowl game, they're going to have to keep winning these games. So I think UNT is going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it handily. Next up, we've got UTEP versus Middle Tennessee, 2 p.m. on ESPN+. UTEP is a 13-and-a-half-point underdog heading into this game. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit with Adrian, but to me, UTEP is a team that manages to keep it close against everybody at this point. Uh, you know, we mentioned, obviously, their win that they had. That's kind of the easy, easy thing to talk about. But even before that, they did a good job. Uh, against UAB, they only lost 19-0. to Against Louisiana Tech, they lost by 7. By UNT, they lost by 3. Against UTSA, they lost by 9. Against New Mexico State, they lost by 7. So they really haven't been blown out uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Now, UAB, again, it was a 19-0 uh, win for UAB, but UAB is the best team in the conference. And then you look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, again, UTEP did lose by a bunch to UNLV, did lose by a bunch to Tennessee, to Northern Arizona. But I really think that this is a different UTEP team. And on top of that, UTEP's going to be coming home fresh off a win. And uh, I think that people are going to be excited for this game. I think the atmosphere is going to be pretty good. And Middle Tennessee is going to have to travel over to El Paso, play in Mountain Time. I think UTEP has the ability to keep this close. Again, Middle Tennessee is going to win this football game, let's be clear. But I think it's going to be something like a 10-point win for Middle Tennessee. And, uh, and again, I think UTEP's going to be able to build a little bit off that momentum, and I think they're going to be able to keep it close, and I think they're going to be able to cover this game. I'll tell you what, I, I did <laughs> say earlier in the year that UTEP, I would not pick them until they won a game. Now, I did break that rule heading into the game against Rice. I did pick them to beat Rice. But... Now that, they've, uh, now that they've won a game, I feel perfectly confident picking them. UTEP, don't let me down. <laughs> Next up, we've got Baylor traveling to number 22, Iowa State, 2.30 p.m. on FS1. Baylor is a 14-and-a-half-point underdog against Iowa State. But the thing I want to talk about with Iowa State is that Iowa State is one of the best teams right now in the Big 12. I mean, Iowa State is really, really playing at a very high level right now. In the last couple of weeks, they beat Kansas, but then they also beat Texas Tech. They beat number six West Virginia. They dominated them. And they also beat Oklahoma State on the road in Stillwater. Plus, in their losses, three points to TCU, 10 points to Oklahoma, 10 points to Iowa, and then also a 13-point win against Zachary. So Iowa State's going to win this football game, and it's not really going to be a question about that. But the one thing I'll say is that they haven't beaten a conference opponent by more than two touchdowns except for Kansas. And so the question that you have is, is Baylor Kansas? Or are they more like Texas Tech or Oklahoma State? And now Oklahoma State, like I mentioned, Iowa State played on the road. And this has been a different team since they switched to quarterback Brock Purdy after the TCU game when they lost 17-14. to But at the same time, I don't think that Iowa State's going to win by more than two touchdowns because you're, you're asking them to win by three scores. I don't think they're going to win by three scores. They're going to win this game easily, but I think it's going to be, again, more like 10-14 to than it is going to be 15 to whatever. So I think Baylor's going to cover. I think that Iowa State wins this game easily, but I think that Baylor does find a way to cover. Next up, we got Texas State playing against Appalachian State, 3 p.m. on ESPN3. Texas State is a 21-point underdog. And like we mentioned earlier uh, this week, Texas State is riding its first winning streak of the Everett Withers era. And the Bobcats are at three wins, which is, funnily enough, the most of the Everett Withers era so far, but I think there's reason for optimism. Willie Jones showed 
a little bit more arm talent than we thought that he might a week ago in a 40-31 to 31 win over Georgia State on the road. But Appalachian State is a much tougher team, I think, than, than what Georgia State or really what anybody that Texas State has played to this point has brought forward. Because you look at the rest of their schedule, I mean, Rutgers, again, they're a Power 5 team, but they're the worst Power 5 team. Uh, you know, and then you look down the rest of their schedule. I mean, Georgia Southern was one, obviously, that I think that they're a really good team. But, and, and Texas State only lost by two to them. But I think the Appalachian State is probably the best team that Texas State will play to this point so far, which is the reason for the 21-point line. I don't know. It's hard for me to, to think that Texas State's going to be able to be competitive at all in this game. Again, though, the, the one thing you have to look at is that Texas State hasn't really been blown out other than the game against Rutgers. So you have a 10-point loss to South Alabama, 4-point loss to UTSA, 15-point loss to ULL, 2-point loss to Georgia Southern, 6-point loss to ULM. Can Texas State find a way to keep this game close? I'm going to say no. I, I think that Texas State does lose by more than three touchdowns. Uh, Appalachian State, when they've gone out there, has done a good job of, of going out and killing people. They beat Arkansas State by 26, for example, South Alabama by 45. It's going to be a tough game. I think that this is going to be a little bit of a letdown game for Texas State after their two-game winning streak. And I think Appalachian State manages to take care of business. Next up, we got UTSA playing against FIU, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. UTSA is a two-and-a-half, excuse me, UTSA is a ten-and-a-half point underdog against FIU. And look, here's the reality. UTSA is arguably playing as bad as anybody in the state right now. And I understand that Rice is the worst football team, but at least Rice is dealing with injuries. UTSA is relatively healthy, and they're getting killed by teams. In the last three weeks, they lost 52-3 to UAB. They lost 27-17 to Southern Miss. And they lost 31-3 to Louisiana Tech. So, I don't know. FIU is a good team. They're not necessarily a great team, but they're definitely a good team uh, under head coach Butch Davis, obviously Butch Davis of University of Miami fame. But look at what they've done the last couple of weeks. Now, they did lose 49-14 to FAU, but before that, 38-17 over Western Kentucky, 36-17 over Rice, 24-21 over Middle Tennessee. I mean, this is a pretty good team. They're not a great team, but they're a pretty good team, and more importantly, they're able to put up some points, and UTSA's defense just collapsed last week in their matchup with UAB. And UAB's the best team in the conference, but, man, giving up 52 points, 9.5 yards per play against UAB... That's not what you're looking for. And the issue is on the other side, you know, FIU doesn't have a great defense, but UTSA has the worst offense in the state in all of college football and maybe even in the FCS as well. UTSA is averaging under 3.7 yards per play. Think about that. 3.7 yards per play. It's, it, it's not good enough. You can't win football games like that. And again, it's only a 10.5 point line. So what you're asking is, okay, if UTSA scores 10 points, can FIU get to 21? Yeah. Yeah, they can. They definitely can. So I think FIU is going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it pretty easily. Next up, we've got Rice going to Louisiana Tech, 6 p.m. on ESPN+. Rice is a 25-point underdog against Louisiana Tech. And Rice proved last week that they are the worst team in college football this year. Now, Rice, like we mentioned, has dealt with injuries. Emmanuel Asukaba has been in and out of the lineup. Sean Stegovic has been in and out of the lineup. But the defense for Rice has just been 
dreadful. It's honestly getting to the point where it's a little unacceptable. And Mike Bloomgren is an offensive coach. And on top of that, this is his first year, and they lost a whole bunch of talent uh, to transfer after David Bailiff was fired last year. But a week ago, uh, you know, again, the fact that they go and hand UTEP their first win since 2016 and go down 27-0 on top of that, that does not bode well for a game against Louisiana Tech. And Louisiana Tech is looking for a big opportunity for a win because last week they played against Mississippi State in the annual sort of uh, SEC crossover. They lose 45-3, to so they want a win right now because the three weeks before that, they beat FAU, they beat UTEP, they beat UTSA 31-3. So the question becomes, is Rice worse than UTSA's 31-3? to I think they are. I really think they are. I'm going to pick Louisiana Tech to cover in this game, the 25-point spread. I really need Rice to show some signs to end the year because they showed some signs early in the year, but they've really fallen off, especially as they've dealt with injuries. So I need to see some signs from Rice. Prove me wrong, Rice, but at this point, I don't see much reason to believe that Rice can cover that line. Next up, we've got Houston versus Temple, 6 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. Houston is a four-and-a-half-point favorite heading into this game. And Houston last week, they showed a side of themselves that I don't think any of us expected. They lost by 14 points against SMU on the road. And SMU is a good but definitely not a great team. So which Houston is going to show up? It's kind of unclear, right? Because on one hand, Houston was starting to look like the best team in the state, arguably. In fact, they were number one in our college power poll last week. But they go out there, lose by 14. De'Aaron King has one of the worst games of his career to this point. And now they've got a tough game against Temple. I, again, the Owls are 5-4, and four, but I don't think that does justice to how well they've been playing. You look at their four losses. Two of them came early in the year before they kind of had things figured out. 19-17 to Villanova, 36-29 against a very good Buffalo team. But then they go out, they kill Maryland, they kill Tulsa, they lose narrowly to Boston College, who's pretty good. They kill East Carolina, they beat Navy, they beat Cincinnati in overtime, and they have a tough game against UCF last week. So this is a Temple team that's playing its best football right now, and they're going to Houston, and Houston, again, they're playing their worst football of the year right about now. At least they did last week. Uh, it's unclear at this point whether, whether Ed Oliver will play, although you probably err towards him playing just because he was close to playing last week. Uh, and again, Temple can get bowl eligible this week if they beat Houston. And Houston's still trying to stay alive for the, uh, for the American West Conference Championship, or Division Championship, rather, and, and for a berth in the conference title game, which is completely still in play. You know, they, they probably will have to beat Memphis down the stretch to do it, but if Houston loses this game to Temple, then SMU can actually pull into the lead in the American West Division. And that would be sort of a nightmare scenario for Houston, especially after starting just as well as they did. So... Houston's going to need to come out here. They're going to need to draw from their home crowd. De'Ara King's going to need to have a bounce-back game. Ed Oliver's going to have to play well if he comes back. And the defense has to show more. That's the reality of it. The defense is going to have to show more because Temple is not a potent offensive team. Now, a week ago, they scored 40 against UCF, but otherwise it's been 24 against Cincinnati, 24 against Navy. Now, granted, East Carolina, Boston College, Tulsa, Maryland, they had good offensive performances. But this isn't the team that's going to score 40 or 50 points, whereas Houston can. So Houston's offense has to be the driving force in this football game in order to win. 
I think they can do that. I think they can win. I think they can win by more than four and a half points. But Houston, you got to show us something, man. You got to show us something. And we finish out with Texas versus Texas Tech. Number 19, Texas, in fact. 6.30 p.m. Central Time on Fox. Texas is a favorite coming to this game, but only by two points. And this is going to be a wild game. A week ago, Texas Tech came within minutes of upsetting Oklahoma, even after losing star quarterback Alan Bowman earlier in the game. Now, on the other end, Texas, they're coming off of a one-point loss on a two-point conversion by a top-ten team at home. So both these teams are going to be supremely motivated coming into this game. And I'm sorry I have to mention it, but uh, this is the 10-year anniversary of the Michael Crabtree play when he had a walk-off game-winning touchdown against Texas to knock them out of the 2008 national title game for all intents and purposes. But at the same time, Texas Tech is playing without their arguably their two best players. Dakota Allen's questionable heading into this game after uh, suffering a knee injury to go along with his broken hand. And it sure sounds like Allen Bowman's going to be out for this game after suffering a recurrence of his partially collapsed lung. So you have to go into this game if you're Texas Tech with Jet Duffy under center, with an inexperienced linebacker playing alongside Jordan Brooks. And they're a much different team without both these players. Losing one would be pretty tough. Losing two is almost impossible to overcome. Now at the same time, ESPN's FPI gives Texas Tech a 60% chance to win this football game. And again, the line is only two. Texas is only favored by two points despite being the number 19 team in the country. It's going to be a crazy game. Again, whenever you play in Lubbock on the road and in a night game, things can get weird. Lubbock is just one of those places that when everything aligns, when it's a night game, things get weird. This is going to be a crazy game, but I think Texas is able to rebound. I think they're able to snap the losing streak. I think they're able to win by more than two points. Heck, you know what? I'm going to call my shot right now. It's going to be a Cameron Dicker game-winning field goal for Texas to down Texas Tech. But at the same time, I think that uh, Texas Tech is going to be able to move the ball offensively. I think they're going to make some big plays defensively. I just don't think it's going to be quite enough. And I think Texas is going to be able to, to walk away from Lubbock with a hard-fought win in this ballgame. Anyway, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again to our guest, Adrian Broadus, our UTEP correspondent. Find all his work on TexasFootball.com. Find all of our work on TexasFootball.com. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. You can like us on Facebook, Dave Campbell Sex Football. If you like the show, please subscribe on your preferred podcast vendor and give us a five-star review. Follow me on Twitter at Sean J. Raja. Make sure and check out the new Dave Campbell Texas Basketball Magazine. And we'd like to give another quick thank you to our sponsor, North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. And everybody, we will be back with you on Sunday to help recap all the games, talk about the biggest storylines from the state. So thank you so much for joining us, and we will talk to you guys very soon.